You have the American dream. You own your own business. But owning a business turns out to be more than you thought. It's a pain in the neck. You're not getting where you want to go. You're not getting what you want to get. And you're working 97 hours a week. We're here to help you fix that. This is the Small Business Celebration Podcast. I am your host, Michael Roberts, and on this podcast, you can learn something that you can use today to grow a strong and profitable business. Before we begin our interview with this week's successful small business visioneer, I want to take a moment and thank you, the listener, for helping small business celebrations reach a significant milestone. If you're listening to this podcast for the first time, you're about to hear an example of why. 1,750 plus small business owners, partners, general managers, presidents, and CEOs connect with Small Business Celebration on a weekly basis. When you consider Kern County as just over 10,000 small businesses, 1,750 plus weekly connections is a big deal. We thank the tremendous content that our Visioneer guests continue to provide this podcast, our sponsors, and you, Visioneer Nation, who have subscribed to this podcast, internalized our guests' valuable insight, and because of it, are growing a strong and profitable business. And we thank you. Our guest today is Dr. Juanita Webb, the owner of JW Webb Consulting. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Michael. I'm looking forward to participating. (laughs) Sounds good. And tell us briefly what it is that your business does. Well, I'm an HR consultant, and so I provide services for small and medium-sized businesses who need assistance with HR questions or concerns. Mm -hmm. Uh, I specialize in the areas of sexual harassment. I do investigations for clients. Um, I also assist with drug and alcohol policies for testing purposes if they want to test employees, provide coaching. That's my passion is to do coaching and mentoring Mm -hmm. for executives uh, in the company to help them become better at their positions. Mm -hmm. Um, Recruitments, some degree of recruitments. HR strategy, I do conflict resolution for employees if there's issues that an employer needs help with to solve problems. So that's kind of a high-level picture. Do lots of training. Why did you get into the world of HR? Well, that's been kind of my history. Uh, Every position I've had since I started working a gazillion years ago, mm-hmm. um, I've been involved in the HR arena, no matter what industry I was in. Some mm-hmm. aspect of my job was always HR. Mm-hmm. And so it's just been a real passion. It wasn't like it was something I made a conscious decision to, I want to go into the HR arena. Mm-hmm. It's just always been a part of my responsibilities. And so I've specialized in that. You are a referral from Tracy Leach, mm-hmm. and she was an earlier guest on the podcast. And Since her interview and numerous others, I've gotten a lot of questions and inquiries from business owners and general managers and presidents and CEOs inquiring about HR and Me Too. Give us, first of all, a 30,000-foot view on how the Me Too movement has changed the HR industry and how business owners are affected by the Me Too movement and how that applies to their business. A lot of that, Michael, has to do with the legislation that came out Mm. because of the Me Too movement. Mm -hmm. There are now some new regulations that require small business owners to train employees as well as the larger business owners. In the past, uh, the legislation required that businesses with 50 or more employees train supervisors and managers only Mm -hmm. for two hours every two years. 
The new legislation that took effect January 1st says that businesses with five or more employees now have to train not only their supervisors and managers for two hours, they also have to train all employees for one hour. Hmm. So that's made a huge impact on small business owners sure, uh, because now they're having to provide this training. Um, obviously, that's been a boon for my business because sure. I provide that training and I'm an expert in that area. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also become a real challenge for businesses to be able to meet that requirement um, because of the cost associated with it, because of the time impact that it has on their business. And so it's important that they take a look at the opportunities. And how does a small business owner, for example, the, the business owner that is just themselves and two or three employees, what, how do they go about, first of all, finding out what they need to cover for, their eight, for the new HR rules? And then how, what do they need to do as far as a process goes to sign off or, and or find the materials that they need to cover? Right. Well, there's a couple of options. Um, Number one, contacting an HR consultant is the best way to do that, to Uh find out what the requirements are. Um, A a typical business owner typically cannot offer the class themselves. Mm. The requirements under the law is that the instructor be either a licensed um, attorney, a professor, or someone who regularly handles harassment and discrimination issues. Mm. And so for a a normal business owner or even a normal HR manager who hasn't had a lot of experience in that area, it's pretty tough for them to be able to present the information. There are other options other than doing live training. They can do online training. There are online resources available. Mm -hmm. Um, And so contacting either Cal Chamber, getting resources through there, contacting their HR consultant, myself included. Mm -hmm. Um, We can provide recommendations for resources or even um, joining forces with other small employers and getting the training together as a group is another way to be able to provide that and meet the needs or the requirements now. What is a documentation or a certification that can designate that the business owner can realize that the consultant that they're talking to is a qualified person in this area? Well, there are no specific certifications for the sexual harassment portion of it, other mm-hmm. than obviously being a licensed attorney, mm-hmm. but those that would have their SHRM certification. And, and what is SHRM? SHRM is the Society for Human Resource Management. There are several levels of certification under SHRM. There's a um, PHR and there's an SPHR. The SPHR just means you're senior, Mm -hmm. um, but PHR is a professional in human resources. And there's two other certifications under SHRM as well. There's the certified uh, professional, a CP, or again, SCP, meaning senior certified professional. And so all of those are certifications for HR professionals. Attracting and retaining quality talent is a challenge in today's labor market. Those of us who own or run a small business know that we have limited resources, and each and every employee we hire is critical to the success of our business. But how do we attract and keep such a critical resource? Terry Denisha at Denisha Insurance Agency has a free guide at Benefitsology.net that can give you the information you need to attract and keep quality talent. Learn the benefits you can use to attract top talent for your business at Benefitsology.net. Act on the best value for you and your employees at Benefitsology.net. Win with the best employees in your industry from Benefitsology.net. Go to Benefitsology today. We're here talking with Dr. Juanita Webb of J. Webb Consulting. And 
your route to getting here in Bakersfield started off in South San Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> and you laugh. Uh, and it took you to Talbot Theological Seminary. And now you're in HR. And briefly tell us, what, how, would, how did the meandering river of life take you from South San Francisco to Bakersfield? Well, I took me from South San Francisco, as you said, to Talbot Seminary, which is in Southern California. It's in La Mirada. Mm -hmm. I actually did my undergraduate work there at Biola University. Mm -hmm. It was a college when I was there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And now Biola University. I stayed on and and did my um, master's at Talbot Theological Seminary. And my husband got transferred to Bakersfield in the oil industry. Ah. And so we came to Bakersfield in the early 80s. Um, and have been here ever since. Um, and so I ended up in Bakersfield and doing that. I finished my doctorate and my master's and doctorate. I got my doctorate in theology. And um, again, that was really for my own personal ministry that I was doing at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, have used it in HR because I do a lot of counseling. Mm-hmm. And because my master's is in counseling, I'm able mm. to utilize that. And then my doctorate in theology has just been kind of a, ben- a benefit to me as well. So, Your route from going from theology into the HR world came through the, the ability to counsel people and to, to help them through the challenges that they, de- that they deal with on a daily basis and, and that sort of thing, correct? That's a, a good statement. Um, I was, I've been in the HR arena even before I got my doctorate. I was, mm. I've been doing HR, like I said, for a gazillion years um, <laughs> and didn't get my doctorate until recently. And so I've only had my doctorate since 2006. And one of the things you mentioned earlier on when you were presenting your business is that you're a California licensed investigator. And for many of us that are not in tune with what it is that you do, we have these visions of Jessica Fletcher or Magnum P.I. or any of the others in the fedora and the trench coat and, and lurking in the, in the corners. What is it that you as a private investigator actually do? Okay, good question. Uh, the reason I got my private investigator license Uh, Michael, was because in order to be able to perform harassment or discrimination investigations for our clients, Mm. you have to be a licensed investigator or a licensed attorney. Mm. It was much easier to become an investigator than an attorney. (laughs) (laughs) So that was the easier route to take. And so in order to be able to provide those services and to conduct those investigations for our clients, I was able to obtain my license and do it that direction. So I always tell everybody when I go in and they find out I'm an investor, no, I don't have my camera. I won't be taking your picture. Um, I'm really just here to interview you. And so it really is just to conduct those investigations. And the kinds of investigations you conduct, are they from the business owner's perspective? Are they from the employee's perspective? Are they a a combination of both? The investigation is initiated because an employee comes forward and shares a concern. Mm. So if an employee says that they have a concern about some behaviors in the workplace, then the employer is obligated to conduct some kind of an investigation. Mm. That can be an internal investigation. They can do it themselves. Mm -hmm. The employer can. They could have their HR department do it, or they can bring someone in from outside the organization as an independent party to conduct the investigation. In order to do that, it does have to be a licensed attorney or a licensed investigator. So it's just really depending on the depth and the breadth of the investigation or the issues at hand as to who you want to conduct the investigation. 
It sounds to me that the reason a private investigator like yourself would be brought in is if the employer believes that there is the, uh, even a whiff of conflict of interest. And that would be a perfect reason to, for to bring someone in from the outside. Or if it involves management, mm. or if it involves people from varying departments or different locations within the company, um, or like you said, a conflict of interest. Some, maybe the HR department has a conflict with someone in the investigation, then it's a perfect opportunity to outsource it mm -hmm. to an outside independent individual to conduct the investigation. For our listeners who aren't that attuned to HR, what de defines harassment? Interesting that you would ask that question. I just taught that class this morning. So um, harassment can be a, a number of things. What you heard about in the Me Too movement was generally the quid pro quo type of harassment. Such as? Um, where a supervisor, a manager, an owner, someone in authority asks an employee for some kind of sexual favor mm -hmm. in exchange for a promotion or a salary increase or some employment benefit. Mm -hmm. That's what we heard about mostly in the Me Too movement were those kinds of harassment issues. What we really see here most locally is what's called hostile work environment harassment. Mm -hmm. And that's where it's a pattern of inappropriate behavior that's unwanted or unwelcome by the people involved um, it causes people to feel uncomfortable or disrespected. It keeps people from being able to get their job done. That's really what classifies something as harassment in the workplace. For it to be illegal harassment, it also has to be related to a protected category. How has the Me Too movement changed the, what, the definition of harassment, if it has changed it at all? I think one of the things that the Me Too movement did best was to highlight the need for people to really understand what harassment is and what it isn't. Mm. Um, so many people think, oh, if you offend me, you must have harassed me. Mm. That's not the case. Not the case. For it to be illegal harassment, it does have to meet four criteria and be related to a protected class. Mm -hmm. And so we have to do a much deeper evaluation of the behavior. It's still inappropriate. It's still unprofessional. Shouldn't be going on in the workplace, but it may not be illegal harassment. Mm. The problem for small business owners is they have to deal with it just as if it were harassment, whether it legally meets the definition of harassment or not. The requirement on the business owner is still the same. They still have to investigate. They still have to look into it. They still have to determine whether or not it meets that legal definition. They still have to handle the, the problem. Mm. And speaking of handling problems, one of the other issues that, that some small business owners face is drug and alcohol abuse. Mm -hmm. And how does your consulting service help small business owner put implement a policy or a set of guidelines for drug and alcohol use? Well, I do work with another organization, Z Consulting, that provides those types of policies to help businesses, small, medium, large, mm -hmm. to be able to implement a drug testing program. Mm -hmm. um, in the state of California, typically the only testing of employees that is permitted without a written program or policy is pre-employment testing. Mm -hmm. Most businesses do that nowadays just right. as a matter of, of process and, and before hiring employees. But any other type of testing, whether it's post-accident or reasonable suspicion or random testing, any of those types of testing cannot be conducted without a written program in place mm -hmm. to be able to do that. 
And one of the questions that often comes up from business owners is the medical marijuana usage. And how does that affect, or how does a business owner gauge what is legal, not legal, appropriate, inappropriate? How does a business owner approach that? Good question. And really medical marijuana, and even now here in California, the recreational marijuana use, which has been, um, was passed and is recreationally legal, um, for someone who's 21 years or older is the same as alcohol use. Mm. Someone who's 21 years or older has the right to consume alcohol. The difference is they can't come to work with it in their system. Mm. The same is true with recreational and medical marijuana. The law that was passed still said that an employer can hold an employee accountable from an employment perspective if they come to work with marijuana in their system, just like they would if an employee came to work with alcohol in their system. And so the testing would be pretty much the same. If, if the employee is inebriated in one way, one fashion or the other, you still have grounds to test them and then, then choose upon their employment at that point. Correct, as long as you have a policy in place. Ah, there it is. Right. You have to have the policy in place to be able to do that testing. So even if you don't have a policy, but an employee is inebriated, you don't have the right to test them. You can send them home Mm -hmm. because you don't want them at work. I wouldn't encourage you to send them home. I would encourage you to take them home (laughs) if they're inebriated (laughs) or under the influence in any way. Uh, Take them home. But you don't have to allow them to remain in the work environment. But you don't have a right to test them to confirm your suspicion that they were under the influence. The difference also with regard to alcohol or marijuana is that if you have a written policy, you do not have to prove impairment. Mm. All you have to do is show that the substance was present in their system at or above a threshold level, which is then a violation of the policy. So you don't have to prove impairment. And one of the other questions I wanted to bring up is, speaking of policy, is conflict resolution and how you deal with a difficult work environment. Um, And how does the employee or how do you as the employer define in your guidelines just because the employer or one of the management staff is having a bad day and says something mean and angry to an employee uh, that isn't performing up to stuff or whatever the situation may be, how do, what is the First of all, what is the legal policy in that realm of HR? And then what does a business owner need to create as far as a written policy as far as as harassment goes? Well, there are specific guidelines that are required for a harassment policy. And so from a legal perspective, there are certain steps that are things that are required to be written into the policy. Mm. Um, Such as? um, Resources available to the employees. What is the definition of harassment? Um, what are some examples that mm-hmm. would be the kinds of behaviors that would be considered harassment? Um, they do now, under the new guidelines, have to have a link to the Department of Fair Employment and Housing, um, materials that are now required to be provided or available to employees. And so that's a new requirement as of 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those kinds of things that are new requirements have gone in. Um, there needs to be a statement somewhere in the policy that explains that employees who are trying to dissuade others from coming forward to share concerns, that those employees who are trying to dissuade others can get in trouble as well. Oh, wow. Right. That's a new aspect of the law as well. So just lots of different 
changes that have occurred because, again, of the Me Too movement that has encouraged the legislature to to require more of employers to make sure employees are aware of their rights and their obligations. What are some of the downsides that you have seen to the Me Too movement and the legislation that has gone into place that employers need to watch out for? One of the things that I've seen in... this has heightened since the Me Too movement, but was present even before then, was just the propensity of some people to be seeking monetary relief because of concerns that may be going on in the workplace. And so that's been a real concern, especially for a small business owner. Mm. Um, These kinds of cases and claims can be very devastating for them, can be extremely expensive to have to conduct all the investigation, go through the process. Um, and then get attorneys involved if you need to, if there's attorneys on either side or both sides. So it can be financially very devastating for small businesses. And so really doing a good job at listening to employees when they do have a concern mm-hmm. and addressing them, not just sweeping them under the rugs. Oh, it's no big deal. That's just the way Johnny is. That you know He's just teasing. He's you know just having fun. That doesn't cut it in most employees' minds when they have a concern. And that's what pushes them then to start filing complaints and actually seeking monetary compensation. It sounds like that the first step for any small business owner or manager, general manager, CEO, is to, first of all, have a policy put in place and then document, 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 document. Uh, You're a great HR professional. I will (laughs) hire you anytime. I heard you say document, document. That's excellent. Yes, absolutely. The policy is a necessity. Mm -hmm. All employers are required to have something in writing to be able to share with the employees um, on a regular basis. And we define regular as annually. I Mm. define it at least annually. Um, That's just a good practice to get into the habit of sharing that policy with your employees every year just to remind them, um, but then also documenting, just keeping records. Um, And for small business owners to realize that just because you document something doesn't mean that you're disciplining an employee. You're just keeping documentation of conversations that you have with an employee, Mm -hmm. Um, conversations of, of information that they might share with you. Because as a small business owner, we have a lot more to think about than remembering the last time we spoke to Johnny about a concern or when Susie came to us and told us about an issue. So it's really great to document it. That way you've got records to go back and fall back on. As a small business owner, you are a visioneer, a pioneer with vision. But sometimes it's hard to see the forest through the trees. You know where you want to go. You know what you want to do and have. But you need a confidential second set of eyes to help you get there. Small Business Celebration can be those eyes. Go to smallbusinesscelebration.com and schedule a listening session. See the forest through the trees. Realize your vision. Go to smallbusinesscelebration.com and schedule a listening session today. We're here with Dr. Juanita Webb with uh, J. Webb Consulting. As a lady business owner such as yourself, and you've been doing this for a couple of years, running a business is is an eye-opening experience for many. And owning a business is not something they teach you in theological seminary. <laughs> <laughs> but I do have a bachelor's in business, too, so I did get a little bit of experience there. What are some of the things that you have learned on your journey that has given you the I can't believe I did that moment? 
I can't believe I did that moment. Uh, there's been a number of those, both positive and negative. <laughs> okay. Um, the one that came to mind um, as you posed that question, Michael, was I had just taught a sexual harassment class. I was working with a company in the Central Valley, and the entire management team, all of the supervisors and managers were in the class. And one of the things I brought up was that sometimes we get a little bit more casual once we get to know our employees and feel comfortable with them. And had just taught the sexual harassment class, had just shared some examples of things that would be inappropriate. The president, COO of the company was texting with me, and I did exactly what I told them not to do in the class. <laughs> and he reminded me, Juanita, you're not supposed to be doing that. It's like, okay, I can't believe I just did that after I just told you we're not supposed to do that, and I did it myself. So we do have those moments. We're not perfect. We're human. We have those issues as well. So Do as I say, not as I do. Right, exactly. Yeah. And I had to eat crow on that one. And I still eat crow. He still reminds me, Juanita, don't forget. I won't forget. And one of the things that also happens a lot as business owners to one another, employees to to each other, is we often get judged in a lot of different fashions. And what are some of the things that your experience and career has done that you feel you've had to overcome because of the feeling of judgment by others? Deep question. I think the judgment aspect is commonplace for all employees, owners, supervisors, managers. I think once you get to the management or owner level, it's really walking the talk. Mm. That if you're going to say it, you better do it. If you're going to do it, you better say it. Um, And really keeping that in mind that if we don't walk the talk and our words are contradictory to our actions... Uh, the lack of integrity that that poses for our employees, for our customers, for our clients, um, really speaks volumes and really has a negative impact Mm -hmm. either on the employees, on the business as a whole, or on the opportunity to be able to gain new clients because of a bad reputation. Mm -hmm. Um, And so realizing that we're going to be judged, just really knowing your beliefs, knowing what how far you're willing to go, how far you're willing to step into certain different areas and really being able to stay true to who you are and your beliefs, remove some of that judgment because mm. everyone is going to look at us. Everyone is going to have an opinion of us, but as long as I'm comfortable and confident that what I'm doing is true to myself and true to my beliefs, their opinion is their opinion and they have a right to that, mm-hmm. but I don't have to accept that opinion as being true of me. And a lot of this rolls into the counseling aspect mm-hmm. of your business. And one of the things that you mentioned prior to our interview that I thought was that I wanted to dig a little bit deeper into is that you mentioned that oftentimes women are more judgmental on women than men are on men. And I'd like to explore that a little bit with you and find out what what your thoughts are on that. Well, I think as, as women, um, from a business perspective, because women are typically viewed as being more emotional, mm-hmm. more sensitive, that when a woman who is a business owner, mm-hmm. typically a little bit more strong-natured, mm-hmm. strong-willed, determined, is seen as being very aggressive and assertive and very much in charge as compared to a man who may do exactly the same thing and be seen as a good boss. Mm. And there are some research statistics that support that and to give some support to that, um, that 
and typically women will judge women more harshly in that vein because they're saying, oh, look at her, how tough she is and how mean she is and how bossy she is, Mm. uh, when really she's just being a good business owner or a good boss, it just comes across more harshly because she's a woman. Because other women may be desirous of being in that position. Other women may want to attain the same level of expertise. Whereas for men, the men who are in management positions don't have those same challenges of the, oh, you're supposed to be emotional. You're not supposed to be, you know, this pushy and this bossy and hold firm for your beliefs. Where when women do that, it's seen as being aggressive and assertive. Mm. And that is definitely something that's an uphill battle to, to face and a challenge. Right. In, in addition to, you know, trying to break that glass ceiling and to get into those, I mean, that's one piece of it. But the other side of it where the judgment comes in is just something we have to learn to deal with and mm-hmm. to do it in a way that is not the emotional screaming, crying, but to do it in a very professional way to assert our position or to assert our stance or our belief or whatever we're trying to present in a way that others can accept it in a professional manner and not be seen as that emotional, frenzied female. Is that why you went into executive coaching? Actually, no, I do more executive coaching with men Mm. than I do with women, Uh um, which is my real passion. I love doing the coaching because I really love to see people grow. I love to see people for the light bulb to come on, for them to learn something about themselves and to realize, wow, I didn't realize that's how people saw me. Or Hmm. wow, I didn't realize that all I had to do was one little thing and it would change um, how I'm perceived. Um, And so I've worked with doctors, I've worked with lawyers, I've worked with presidents and CEOs, uh, COOs, um, and just really enjoy the, the coaching side of it to really help them to grow and be better in their business. As part of your coaching process, do you take them down the Kern River and go whitewater rafting? I love whitewater rafting, (laughs) actually. It's interesting that you mention that because one of the people that I coached, I found out afterwards that he used to be a whitewater rafting guide on the Kern River, and I didn't find that out until after I had already coached him and then gone down the Kern River myself, so... And one of the things I also wanted to explore with you a little bit is succession planning, because this is something that often we hear from attorneys, and because estate planning is a big deal in the in the legal realm, and not necessarily something that I would initially see an HR person or slash investigator slash conflict resolutionator <laughs> slash 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 doing. And tell us a little bit about why what brought you into succession planning. Well, succession planning, I mean, it's just like estate planning for yourself personally, Mm. right? We all should be doing something to plan for our future, how we want things to be handled if and when, you know, we're no longer on this earth. Mm -hmm. We need to do the same thing with our business. And not only that, but we need to be planning and training the people to take on those roles. Just as a parent, we do that with our kids. We train them up. We share with them information about our you know, ourselves and our family and our home and our finances, we need to do the same thing in our businesses. And that's Mm -hmm. succession planning. With a business, um, it takes a little bit more energy and effort because obviously you have to identify the individuals. It's Mm. not like they're, unless it's a family business, they're typically not family. And so you have to identify those individuals that you would want to succeed you. Mm -hmm. Do they have the same 
goals and desires for the business? Do they have the same level of integrity and honesty that you've portrayed or you've built your business on um, to carry that forward, you know, so that your name carries forward as well? So it's, it's a tough assignment, but it's something that's important for every business, no matter how large or how small, to begin thinking about that, to develop so that the, the business can carry on when they move on. So the visioneer listener who is suddenly the light bulb has gone off and says, okay, I need to start thinking about the future of my business. What are two or three or four bullet points that you would ask, that you would ask them to entertain that they need to start thinking about before they call somebody like yourself? I would say they need to make sure they have a clear vision, number one, mm-hmm. of what their business is, where they want it to go, where they see it going as a legacy for themselves. Mm. What's their legacy? What do they want this business to reflect about them? Mm-hmm. Then to identify, do they have any current employees or staff that are capable that they feel could potentially take that and carry it forward for them? Um, third, I would say that if they don't have those in their business already that they can identify in that way to start thinking or planning, how do I bring those individuals into my business so they get to know my business and can carry on that legacy for me. Um, And then once you've got those identified, then it's just a matter of laying out a plan with those individuals so that everyone knows what the steps are going to be. Mm -hmm. Do they need to work through every position in the company before they take on the lead role? Uh, because many business owners, that's what they've done. They started at the bottom and they've done every job. They've done every aspect of the business. And so does someone that's going to take over my business need to follow that same path? Uh. Or can I bring someone in who's just already a successful business owner to take it over? Mm -hmm. Just those kinds of little things that many times we don't think about when we start thinking about succession planning. And then how do I get that ball rolling once I've identified those individuals? And I would also tend to think that this would be a very important thing to start, regardless of how far along you are in your business, because accidents do happen. Absolutely. Um, And, you know, it's interesting you say that because in the last uh, three years, I've had a number of situations where suddenly an executive of the company is in an accident, drops Mm -hmm. dead, driving Mm -hmm. to work on the way to work and is in an accident. Um, and it's devastating for the company when they have nothing in place. How are we going to move forward? What are we going to do? Who's going to assume his responsibilities? How are we going to redefine? How are we going to reassign functions and jobs? Um, you know, how do we fill the, the hole, the void? Mm-hmm. Um, and it really is helpful to take at least a, a, an approach to it to have something outlined so that you know what to do in those situations so that the minute it hits you at least have some steps ready to go or know what to do because there's a lot also of an emotional toll that comes along with it. And when you're in that emotional situation, you don't want to be making those grand decisions for your business. Next month, well, first of all, you're involved with Kern County Sherm, correct? That's correct. And I believe next month, the month of October, there's going to be a major event that Kern County Sherm is going to be having. Tell us a little bit about that. That's the Sherm Symposium. That's been going on for a number of years here in Kern County, and that's where about four to 500 um, HR professionals and other professionals come together to hear speakers and have breakout sessions on various topics relevant or important to HR. 
Um, it's a great event. Uh, we spend a whole day um, getting fed as HR professionals or feeding others as <laughs> HR professionals um, and really just, you know, reinvigorating us within our profession, getting exposure to others. It's a great networking opportunity uh, within the community. There's lots of business vendors who are there, and we get to know more about their businesses um, so that they can then obviously gain additional business from us as well. Uh, but it's a great opportunity, and it's a great educational piece for those who are in the HR profession. For Visioneer Nation out there, if if one of our business owners, presidents, CEOs, general managers, or partners wants to get in touch with you, how do they do that? The easiest way is by email, um, Dr. Juanita Webb. It's Dr. Dr. period Juanita, J-U-A-N-I-T-A period Webb at gmail.com. And that's a web with one or two Bs. Two Bs, thank you. Um, or they can call me on my cell phone. That's it's text or call is the easiest way as well. 661-747-4386. And for Visioneer Nation, what is something that they could use today to grow a strong and profitable business? Focus on your business. Mm -hmm. Hire professionals for those areas that you're not the expert in. Mm -hmm. And outsource anything that distracts you from focusing on the core principles of your business. Why? So that you're not distracted from the core <laughs> principles of your business. But how does, how, but that's one thing to say it, but it's something else to live it. And for, for a lot of our business owners who, who do, who are focused on the thing that they do best, um, but they don't have six or seven or 20 or a hundred employees yet. How do you define what focusing on what's important and outsourcing what isn't? How do you, how do you de determine which is which? Going back to your mission, vision, and values, mm. what is the mission of your business? Mm. So anything that, that is aside from that, the accounting, the finance, the HR piece, that mm. um, because it's regulatory compliance things that can really detract you from having to focus on those areas that are building your business and what your core business components are, um, it takes a lot of time and effort to stay focused on those. When you're running a business, you don't have time to be researching what should I include in a sexual harassment policy. <laughs> you don't. And so it's really valuable. It may seem cost, not cost effective because, gee, I've got to pay somebody else to do this. But typically, they're not only doing it for you, they're doing it for lots of other people. So the work's already done. Mm. And it's just being able to glean from them and pick up from them the things that are already available without you having to do the research, spend the time. Uh, the same thing with the, you know, the, the payables, the receivables, the accounting, those kinds of things many times that can be outsourced that are the more of the administrative type functions so that you can focus on the core principles of your business. Is there anything that you'd like to add that we didn't cover? Well, one thing, Michael, I think is important for most small business owners to realize that within the law, whether it's California or federal law, there are different regulations that apply depending on the number of employees in your business. Mm. So an em employer who has under five employees 
certain laws won't apply to them. Mm-hmm. As soon as they hit the five mark, certain laws are going to apply. They hit 10. What, what, okay. I was go, going to ask, which was going, what are the delineations? Right. There's a number of them, but it could be 10, 15, 25. A big one is when you hit 50, then many of the federal laws begin to kick in. So for small business owners, just to even understand which laws apply to mm-hmm. them, based on the number of employees, and when do they apply? Mm. Uh, Many of the um, minimum wage changes have occurred based on having 25 or more employees. Mm. If you have less than, you have 26, have less than 25, then it's a different minimum wage. And so when you hit that new mark of 25, when does that kick in? Well, Mm -hmm. immediately. And so many employers don't understand that these things occur can occur immediately as soon as they hit a certain number. And so for small business owners to really understand that they need guidance mm-hmm. as to when these milestones occur for them, and many times they don't have the time to research and really learn about that. So unless they have someone in their business that's focused on HR and the regulatory aspect of compliance, they need to get someone that can help them and guide them so they know when does that kick in? When am I going to be impacted? When do I need to th- start thinking about new rules and regulations that might apply to me? And the business owner that wants to learn more about that, they can obviously get in touch with you, but they also can come to the Casey Sherm Symposium next month. They can, absolutely. Um, there's other resources available. Uh, the Cal Chamber is a great resource for HR materials as well. There's other resources available online. Obviously, you want to do your homework and make sure you research to make sure it's a legitimate source mm-hmm. um, before you rely on it for um, you know, legal advice. Obviously, I'm not an attorney, so all of the information <laughs> that I've shared today is not from a legal perspective. Um, but it is important to make sure that you're getting reliable information from the Internet. Um, and so no matter what source you use, make sure it's a reliable source. Well, Dr. Webb, this has been a pleasure. I thank you very much for being on the Small Business Celebration Podcast and sharing your wisdom and your thoughts, and we appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. I've enjoyed it myself. Attracting and retaining quality talent is a challenge in today's labor market. Those of us who own or run a small business know that we have limited resources, and each and every employee we hire is critical to the success of our business. But how do we attract and keep such a critical resource? Terry Denisha at Denisha Insurance Agency has a free guide at Benefitsology.net that can give you the information you need to attract and keep quality talent. Learn the benefits you can use to attract top talent for your business at Benefitsology.net. Act on the best value for you and your employees at Benefitsology.net. Win with the best employees in your industry from Benefitsology.net. Go to Benefitsology today. I've been asked, who is a visioneer? A visioneer is a small business owner who's a pioneer that has vision. A visioneer is someone willing to see the world, not as it is, but as it could be, and is willing to do something about it. A visioneer is ethical, smarter, faster, and leaner than the mainstream competition. A visioneer gives value first because visioneers are in business for the long haul. Visioneers understand the difference between saving money and earning a profit. Visioneers define their destiny. Visioneers create their own luck. Visioneers surround themselves with successful, like-minded people. Visioneers are renegades who defy the mainstream competition and are ready to change the world. Are you a visioneer? 
Become a Visioneer by joining the Tribe on Small Business Celebrations Facebook page and on Instagram today. Thank you for listening to the Small Business Celebration Podcast. Some of today's music was brought to you by Ted Hammond, and you may find more of Ted's music at ReverbNation.com forward slash Ted Hammond. And that's ReverbNation.com forward slash Ted Hammond. Also, if you enjoyed this episode and gained some insight from it for your business, subscribe to this podcast at iTunes.com forward slash Small Business Celebration and give us a five-star review. If there is a business you'd like us to interview, reach out to us on Facebook and let us know. Until next time, I am your host, Michael Roberts of the Small Business Celebration Podcast, and we wish you a strong and profitable business.